You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Tracy Clark about her new book titled Fall, a Detective Harriet Foster thriller. Tracy is a two-time Sue Grafton Memorial Award winner. She has also received the Anthony Award and the Lefty Award for her writings. Fall, which we're going to talk about today, is the second novel in the Harriet Foster series. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I should say welcome back. Yeah, <laughs> glad to be back. <laughs> All right. As I mentioned, Fall's the second book in the Harriet Foster series. Talk to me about how you handle continuing character development when you have a series, because you've written several very successful series. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love series. I, I think it's probably because I'm really nosy about people, and I kind of want to know what makes them tick and how they sort of live their lives, even if they're book people. And so for the series, it's kind of easy for me because I have sort of several threads going in each book. It's not just the case that they're working. It's also the personal part of it. Um, So we have that personal thread sort of lying underneath the case thread. And so that carries through from book to book because they don't sort of solve their problem in book one or book two. It sort of carries through with them as they go through their journey, whatever that arc is. And so whatever Harriet is dealing with in book one and two, she's going to be dealing with to a certain degree in a book three and four. Maybe she's going to learn a lesson or two along the way, but she's still got that thread going. So that's what makes it interesting for me to sort of follow that thread through to see whether or not Harriet gets better or sort of progresses a little bit or whether she sort of slacks back a little bit. I mean, she's got a journey she's on. And my job as the writer is to sort of follow that uh, leash to see whether or not she leads me this way or that. And whether she gets better or not, or falls back or not, or, you know, learns how to live like a normal person would live. Because when we meet her in book two, she's not quite there yet. Uh, She was a little further back in book one. I think she's making a little progress, but, you know, people don't make great leaps. And so we go sort of pick our way through life uh, as we all do and and hope we get at the end and, and have this wonderful, peaceful resolution. So, you know, Harriet's still on her journey. Well, you know, it's interesting because I am going to ask you a little bit more about her character development as I saw it. But let me ask one other question about a series and how you write a series. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing, let's say, the first book in the Harriet Foster series, are you already thinking about the plot lines for the second and the third? Or does that grow out organically from somewhere in writing the first one? I would like to say yes, uh, but I'm a pantser. (laughs) And pantsers... (laughs) don't know a great deal uh, ahead of time. Um, so that means we fly by the seat of our pants. Uh, we meet the story on the page, on that blank page as it presents itself. And in book one, I sort of dealt with Harriet at that level, at that point where she was. Uh, when we meet her in book one, she's standing on the sidewalk in front of the police station, not sure whether or not she wants to go in or go or, or run. Okay, so that's where she is in book one. Uh, book two, she's found her partner, right? She's partner, She's found somebody that she can work with who understands her and sort of picks her out a little bit. Okay, that's book two. Um, I know where Harriet needs to go uh, to be sort of a fully evolved person, but that's all I have at this point. I don't know where she is uh, going to be in book four. Uh, mm-hmm. I just finished. I'm finishing up book three. Um there's a little bit of resolution in terms of her personal struggle, but not a lot. I mean, we don't move in great leaps, as I said. Um, right. Characters sort of pick their way through. So book three, she's a little further along the thread. Book four, I have no idea. Um, so <laughs> when I meet that blank page, I will I will figure that out. Okay. 
But let's go back to plot ideas. Because yep. obviously, besides the character development, and I still want to ask you a question about that, mm -hmm. we have a plot that's through each one. When you're writing that first book, do you know what the plot for the second one's going to be? Or does it uh, involve part of that? Not really, no. Okay. All right. No. Um, but again. as I recall, as I recall, <laughs> you plant the seed kind of at the end of the book as to mm -hmm. what might be coming next. Is that? And that's about as much as I know. Uh, okay. All that right. little Good. spark of whatever that seed is, that's what I have. And I will deal with it <laughs> okay. when I get right. to that point. All right. So when we're talking about character development, when we first meet Harriet Foster in the, in the first book, in the first mm -hmm. novel, she's not really sure if she wants to return to police work. I mean, no. that's the sense that I had. Her son had been murdered. Her partner had committed suicide. And as you noted, and it's very metaphorical, she's standing outside the police station trying to decide whether to even go in. Mm -hmm. Where is she at now in fall in the second book as it relates to returning to police work? Well, she uh, goes in. She goes into the building because that's what she knows. She's a cop. That's what she does best. Uh, that's half of her life. Um, she is a brilliant investigator. She can get the job done. She knows how to follow the leads, whatever. She goes home at the end of the day. She takes that badge and that gun off and she's stuck. She's like a clock with no hands on it. She's just sort of there. And so when we meet her in fall, she's still sort of at that point, but now she's got a problem because now she has sort of a niggling idea that her partner's death might not have been as simple as they thought it was. Not a simple suicide, something propelled it. And so now she has a, a purpose. Now she's got a mission. So she's got the job that she has to do, these murders that are showing up on her job. And then she's got that personal sort of crusade that she has to sort of follow to sort of get that resolution. So she's kind of in the same spot, but now she's got this spark of this thing she's going after. And that sort of propels her forward. She not only the case, but also this personal thing that she has to get to the bottom up and figure out what actually happened. So yeah. I think that sort of draws her through and fall that yeah. will continue in the next one, which is titled Echo. And, okay. you know, that's how you do series, man. I mean, <laughs> right. well, you know, what struck me about the, the, the question concerning her partner's suicide and, and you know, mm -hmm. the facts, and we don't have to reveal all that, but is that it kind of reminded her why she was a cop in the first place. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's the sense that I got that we go from she doesn't know if she wants to do this anymore. And there's lots of issues with that. to now she's kind of as you use to use your word purpose. She's got mm -hmm. a purpose and it is to be the detective that she really is very good at. Um now, the book starts off, though, with something that I think we probably should explain. She is at the resentencing hearing of the young man, uh, Terrell Wilhelm, who murdered her son. Mm -hmm. What's a resentencing hearing? Well, uh, lawyers uh, sort of work for their clients, and they have this sort of thing where they say, well, because he was so young when he was sentenced originally, that they go back and they sort of see if they can get a better deal. Uh, and so... The, the impact statements are coming out. Uh, the people have an opportunity on the other side to come in and say, I think this is why he should stay where he is. And so Harriet sort of goes in there. She doesn't want to, but she sort of feels that she has to do this. And she goes in not as a cop. Uh, in fact, I sort of make that point. Um, mm -hmm. She goes in as a mother who has lost her son. And so I sort of wanted to open the book, not with the professional part of it, because we get to that soon enough. I wanted to start with character. And I wanted to start with Harriet when she's not really behind the badge, but the badge has nothing to do with what this is. She's a mother. She's a woman. Uh, she's an ex-wife. Uh, she's got all of this personal stuff. I wanted to start there. So resentencing is having 
the other side have an opportunity to sort of speak and say, well, this is why I think he should stay where he is. And okay. she sort of makes an impactful statement, whether or not, uh, you know, she intended to make it that way. And, you know, that's where we start. Well, you know, what I thought was interesting about that, um, having practiced law for 34 years, is that she's obviously angry at Wilhelm. That, that makes sense. But mm -hmm. she's also not oblivious to the types of environment that might have created or led Wilhelm to the life of crime that he was mm -hmm. in. Was it important for you to get that in? I thought it was very believable uh, and really lent some, some real credence to the whole thing. Well, I was thinking about all of my stuff starts and ends with character. And so I'm looking at Harriet. Um, she's lost her 14-year-old son. I mean, she's a cop. She's, that's her job. Her job is to sort of prevent things like that from happening. And here she is powerless to sort of to have any impact on that. It happened. Uh, she feels a certain amount of guilt to that, a responsibility for it. But at the base of it, she's still a police officer. And so she can sort of keep that sort of equilibrium um, she is angry. She is absolutely angry. And she has made it her purpose to sort of be there every single time uh, this guy comes up. Uh, as long as it takes it, to the day she dies, that's what she's going to do. Uh, but she's also a professional. And she can sort of look at this situation, not just him, but everything that created him along the way. Um, he didn't just fail on his own. Uh, the school system failed him. Uh, his parents failed him. Uh, his community failed him. And so when she's looking at him across this defense table, um, she's looking at all that failure. She's not looking at just this guy because somebody created him. Uh, some societal failure created this. And she's got to deal with that on her job. And she's got to deal with it again on a personal level because now something precious has been taken from her. Yeah. All right. So the main crux of the book, however, has to do with the murder of some aldermen in Chicago. I'm sure that many folks who have lived in Chicago <laughs> for years have thought that that might not be a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but anyway, where did this idea come from that you were going to have a, a serial killer on the loose, essentially, um, but with a very specific purpose about their targets, aldermen? Well, when you sort of spend a couple of hours on the phone with your alderman's office trying to get a streetlight fixed, <laughs> and the streetlight stakes out from like Easter to New Year's Day, despite your better efforts, um, when you're looking for victims as you're, as you're a writer, <laughs> it's kind of easy to sort of say, oh, okay, uh, alderman, check, and then sort of build the story around, around that, uh, you know, that victim pool. So okay. that was pretty easy to do. Um, when I sort of mentioned that I'm killing aldermen in, in, in the book, outside of, you know, for people outside of Chicago, I get, you know, polite claps. Oh, that's nice. When I mentioned it inside the city, you know, they really literally throw a parade for me. I mean, it, everybody's had an, an alderman experience <laughs> that is not quite great. And so just having a little fun with it, you know, I'm, I'm writing fiction. I'm not, you know, right. advocating anything. But, uh, you know, it was kind of easy to sort of say, oh, there we go. And then sort of build a story around it. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, we know the history there that aldermen were not uh, towers of virtue. Um, uh, yeah. You had some crooked politicians. All right, one of the aldermen who's uh, not necessarily been a tower of virtue is Marin Shaw, mm -hmm. who's just being released from prison um, when at the beginning of the book. Talk about her fall from grace and her, what is her backstory? Well, Marin Shaw is kind of like a... A conglomerate of all the sort of corrupt aldermen and politicians that we have in the city. We've had our, a few more than enough. 
Um, and she's made a difficult uh, choice and she's gotten caught up in it. And she is the one who sort of took the fall for uh, a, a group of people who probably should have been in there with her. Uh, you know, but this is Chicago. Uh, this is how politics goes. Um, she did her time and now she's out. And now she has a lot of rebuilding to do, um, not only with a career that she has lost. Um, she's a lawyer. who She's lost her law license. Right. Um, and she's also lost her family, her husband and her child that she had to leave behind. So she's got a lot of rebuilding to do. She's a recovering alcoholic. She's got that on her back. And when we meet her, she's just being let out of the gates with this uncertain future in front of her, a lot of cleanup work to do. And the journey for her becomes uh, rebuilding and clawing her well back. So the title of the book uh, sort of pings on her journey, but it also has a lot to do with Harriet too, um, and all the people in the book, and actually all the characters. Um, so yeah, she's got some tough stuff to deal with, as all the characters do. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and I, I can't say this enough. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the third book because the first two have pulled me in. I want to know where Harriet goes. I like Harriet. But she mm -hmm. has a husband named Will mm -hmm. and the daughter that she mentioned is named Zoe. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have to ask about each. The character Will comes across as a bit of a prima donna, I think we might uh, we might mm -hmm. call it. Where did that idea come from? I don't know. He just presented himself on the page. <laughs> um, I would sort of need to think about Marin, right. what kind of person she would have married and right. why and why why is also important and that and he sort of you know he just showed up I didn't plan him I didn't sort of uh, sketch him out ahead of time I just needed who would she married who would she face across that dining room table that first time out and there he was um so and that says a lot about her too I mean why did she marry him uh right. what was the you know the pull well, you know, what's interesting about that is you, you're educating me on that piece. So tell me if I'm right. Marin actually leads you to the character of Will. You create the character of Marin and she leads you as you're trying to fill in. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's interesting. All right. There's a really touching scene, at least to me in the book, where Marin has to answer her daughter Zoe's questions mm -hmm. about her crimes at, at a psychologist's office. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that whole relationship is fascinating. This could have come across as you know, insincere and made up and everything, but instead it comes across as very genuine. Tell me what you're drawing on there to make this, because I, I was really touched by it. And I said, this might be the way this would actually happen. I think the prevailing thing in that scene for me was fear, uh, Marin's fear, right? Um, she did a terrible thing. Just that's it. I mean, she did a terrible thing. She paid for it. But now here she is across the room from this little kid and she has to explain herself. And she is frightened out of her mind because she knows that she failed. She knows why she failed. She knows it wasn't a good enough reason to fail. And she has to explain it to her kid. And I just sort of played it as the kid would have to hear it or need to hear it. And what Marin would have to say to sort of try to get this gap closed. Right. Uh, they love each other, uh, but there's hurt there. There's fear there. Uh, there's guilt there. A, a tremendous amount of guilt. And then wanting just you just lay it out there and see what happens. That's all she can do. Yeah, I was you know I just thought it lent a lot to her character. Okay, mm -hmm. as to Zoe's as well as how Zoe responds to it and those types of things. All right. Besides being involved in um, some criminal activity, the aldermen that uh, are in the book, uh, let's just say they have some other personal flaws. Right. <laughs> um, as a writer, 
is it more interesting to write about flawed characters than the character who kind of toes to the straight and narrow? Absolutely. I mean, flaws are everything. I mean, no, nobody is perfect. None of us are perfect. Okay. And if you write a character that's sort of superhero and doesn't do anything wrong, uh, you know, always going to know that they're going to, whatever choice is in front of them, they're always going to take the right one. I mean, that's boring as heck. And nobody right. wants to read 360 pages of perfect people because they don't exist. And so right. I give my characters as much as, as I can give them and still have it sort of be believable uh, and engage the reader. Um, whether they're good guys or bad guys, they've got all of these layers of gray, uh, black and white and gray and mushy stuff that we all have. And I think that is what readers sort of ping off of. Uh, that's what draws readers in, I think, I hope. Uh, and so, yeah, we as many layers as I can give them, as many flaws as I can give them, as many challenges as I, I can give them, then we see where we are uh, and the story moves. Uh, perfect doesn't do a, a darn thing for a writer. Good. All right. Well, one of the other questions I always have with a thriller, like, and this really is a thriller to me, how do you as a writer balance leaving some clues along the way that are going to end up being dead ends, but not revealing too soon, you know, the, who the killer is, if you will. Well, if I uh, was a better organized writer, I would say I plot all that stuff out. <laughs> but well, being, you, do it, you do it very well, by the way. But go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious how you how you do that. <laughs> but being on the other side, uh, the panther side, I sort of feel it. Um, you can sort of sense when something has to happen. Um, it, uh, the stuff that you write has a rhythm to it. And you can sort of, I can't explain it. Uh, there's probably a better way to explain it. Some other writer might be able to do it better than I am. But I sort of feel it. I hear it. I know when this has to happen. I know when uh, this ending has to lead to that ending. Um, I can feel it. I can sense it. I can, I can hear well, it. All right. So let me ask it this way. When you start off, let's talk about fall. And we don't mm -hmm. have to reveal anything. But when you start off writing that book, do you already know? who the serial killer is, or do you have some, you go down the path and no, you know what? I think that's going to be a dead end. And then you end up at another conclusion. Yeah. I do that all the time. Um, you write something that you think is going to work and then you can be midway in it and it doesn't quite have the, the punch that you need. And then you have to stop and sort of go back and rethink. I do a lot of that stop and go back and rethink. And so I do, in the course of a book, I might do that a thousand times. Uh, I might, I'm like, like a ping pong ball in the thing. I mean, just going this way and that until something resonates, until I can sort of see that path lit up and I can see the end of it. Then you know you've made the right choice. But I might rewrite maybe five or six times before I get to that point. Um, when I started Fall, I had an idea of who I thought the killer might be. That changed a quarter way through. And then now, I, of course, I have to go back and sort of plant those little seeds that you were talking about earlier. And then I have a, a clearer picture of how I can sort of proceed for the other parts of the book. But yeah, that changes all the time. I'm looking for the better option. I'm looking for the, the firmest punch. I'm looking for the biggest thing. And if I have to change midway through to sort of get that, then that's what I have to do. That, that's fascinating. All right. So in the book, this may seem like a minor point, but it struck me. Harriet, and it almost seemed out of character, Harriet rescues a dying office plant from the trash can, okay, mm -hmm. at work, to see if she can get it to survive. Mm -hmm. And her new police partner, Vera Lee, uh, gives her an assist with, you know, with the plant to see if it will make it. I thought this was a wonderful metaphor on so many levels about Harriet and about her situation, 
were you thinking of that when you included it or am I just, you know, throwing something at you and never thought of? Oh, uh, I was thinking it as I was writing it. I didn't plan that scene, but when I had her in the, the cop kitchen, I needed something that sort of hit on what this new relationship that they, because it is a relationship, they're partners, but they have to sort of rely on their, each other. They have to be as close as close can be while they're working. And so she's in the kitchen. Uh, she's at a sort of a down point. I sort of saw that plant in the garbage. That sort of reminded me of Harriet's situation. Um, she is not quite dead as Harriet is not. Um, there's still a spark of life in it as there is in Harriet. And so she rescues this plant as she's got to rescue herself. And she puts this plant on this on her desk and tries her best to sort of bring it back to life. Lee notices that as she notices the fact that Harriet is sort of not in the place that she needs to be. And so she helps her nurse this plant along as she's helping Harriet nurse her life back together. And so, yeah, um, I didn't plan it. I never planned anything. I didn't plan this day when I woke up this morning. I'm just a pantser in all things. But the, the things present themselves. It works. Uh, and I work on it. And then, yeah, there it is. It resonates for the characters. Also, the plant. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen to the plant. Maybe it's going to follow Harriet through as she as she sort of gets better. I don't know. Uh, the plant yeah. might die. It all might right. be better for a scene if the plant dies. But I don't know. I don't know that until I get there. Okay. And look, I like the character of Vera Lee, too. I think she, she becomes stronger as a character as it goes along, and I really like that. Now, in the middle of trying to solve the murders of these various aldermen, Harriet starts getting threatening phone calls. And these are unresolved at the book's end, though they do kind of figure out who killed the aldermen. Can I assume that this is the seed for the next novel? Absolutely. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> So let me ask you a couple of general questions because we don't want to mm -hmm. reveal too much. But um, now you've lived with Harriet Foster as a character for a while, mm -hmm. right? And I always ask, you know, when you create a good character, does that character help write the story? Have you found that to be true with Harriet in these two novels? Um, yeah, kind of, because I'm following her. It's kind of weird to say that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just sort of sitting there waiting for Harriet to talk to me. But in a certain regard she I kind of am um I have my story or what I think my story is going to be uh, I put my dead body there and they are police officers and that's their job but uh, I don't move until Harriet moves and I sort of think I know where she needs to go but you know she's got a mind of her own and she's going to do what she's going to do because um she's got some stuff to deal with so right. it's not just the cop it's not just the badge the gun and all the rest of that she's got stuff and I don't know what that stuff is until she moves and acts and does something. So I put her in the scene. I put her in a room. She does what she does. Ah, there it is. And then I know where I can go from that. So I'm kind of following her. I'm directing it a little bit, you know, but it's such a weird, it's a weird thing. I can't just, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a writer. I should, I should be able to describe this better, but I don't, I don't, I can't. Um, it's probably the one question we get the most, you know, people will say, I can't understand how that and I've always used this example. Tell me if you've had this happen. Early in my interviewees, interviewing of writers, I had a writer say, well, sometimes a character will just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And it sounds psychotic to the you know non-writer. Mm -hmm. But have you had that happen? where You, Absolutely. Start you know what? Because they say it and you can't write that scene because it will. Well, however you do it, 
however you sort of fashion it, it doesn't work. If the character says, I'm not going to do that, that's not what I would do. There's nothing I can do on that scene or that chapter to make the, to shoehorn this thing. And to, it just won't work. I and so you. you have to listen to the voice. Uh, it's kind yeah. of a sort of loosey-goosey sort of a thing. And you figure out what your character is in at the heart of it and then proceed from there. Okay. Um, and that's the best way I can describe that's it. That's a good explanation. <laughs> All right, so let me end with this then, okay? I'm always fascinated by this. So you're, and let's use Harriet as our example. As a writer, you create a fictional character, you put them in certain circumstances, and then they have you have to figure out along with them how they get out of those or how they resolve them, if they resolve them. What have you learned about yourself through Harriet? Um, I don't know. Um, I'm probably a little bit of a wimp. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> dealing with the, the stuff that I give my characters to deal with and then sort of coming out on the other side, you know, perfectly happy. I'm, uh, yeah, I would sort of be curled up in a corner somewhere with a cookie. Um, but I think I've learned that about myself, that these people are far braver, braver than I am. Uh, wonderful inspiration for, the, for me. Uh, but, you know, kudos. <laughs> well, is that part of why you write? I don't know. It might be. Um, that's sort of Walter Mitty sort of a thing. I mean, yeah. it might be that. I don't yeah. know. Um, I'm just sort of a library cat, you know, sort of a, a quiet person who sort of enjoys her little books and all the rest of that. I, I am not, uh, you know, full of daring do and climbing buildings and doing all that. This is not me. So it's kind of fun to sort of live that life. But, you know, that's probably the biggest difference. I'm just well, a writer. Yeah. I think it was Freud that said dreams will do that. You know, they're kind of, we dream something to bolster us in, in our, you know, waking mm -hmm. hours. So maybe, maybe, writing, maybe writing does that a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, you've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been speaking with author Tracy Clark about her new book, part of a series. It's called Fall, a detective Harriet Foster thriller. It's a really good one, folks. Pick up the first one. Pick up the second one. And you've told us the third one's on its way. Tracy, is there a website or other social media site that folks can go to in order to learn more about you and about uh, the books? Well, they can go to my website, uh, tracyclarkbooks.com. And I'm also on social media, uh, X and uh, Facebook and all the rest of that. Just uh, ping me up. Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Folks, music for the show was provided by Valerie Hunt Jester, and the show is produced by our very own Tyler O'Brien. Tune in next Tuesday at 4 p.m. or Wednesday at 5.30 in the morning to hear the next segment of the Writers' Forum.